Hi, this is your host, Pete Bloom. Welcome to American Heroes Network. Our core mission is serving the brave men and women who have sacrificed to ensure our freedom. You will hear true stories from those that have served, learn about veteran organizations and resources, and gain hope for your future knowing American Heroes Network, your community, and other veterans are here and at the ready to serve and help you and your family. We will talk about the hard topics like PTSD and TBI. You will also hear military history, inspirational stories, learn about networking with the community, and more. So come join us and be part of our family. Today's guest is an Army veteran who served in Vietnam. While flying a helicopter and attempting to save troops in Vietnam, he was shot down, but he survived. As a member of the DAV, he has spent a lifelong career serving other veterans. He is also a previous national commander of DAV. I would like to welcome Ron Hope. Ron, thank you for serving, and how are you doing today? I am doing outstanding, and it was my privilege, my honor. Thank you very much. It's actually my honor, definitely, to have you on here today, Ron. Just to talk about your story, I know you didn't serve an entire career on active duty, but after learning about you and reading about you, I realized that you've spent an entire lifetime with the DAV serving and helping other veterans. And to me, that mission is just as important. So I want you to know that right off the bat. So I really would like to start at the beginning. When you actually wanted to join the military, were you always interested in being a pilot? And how did you end up in the Army? Well, I was in my third semester in college, and I found out that I was going to be drafted sooner than later. And so I started checking on my options, and I always wanted to fly. I had never been in an aircraft, never been off the ground before in my life. Of course, the Air Force was out, the Navy was out, and Marine Corps was out since you had to have a college degree to fly for them. But the Army had the Warrant Officer Program. So I went through the testing, qualified for Warrant Officer Candidate School, got through basic training at Fort Polk, Louisiana, and then went to Fort Walters, Texas, which is about, I guess, 50 miles west of Fort Worth, Texas. It was an old Army Air Corps base back in World War II, and they had changed it over to the primary training base for helicopters and for the Warrant Officer Candidate School. Went from there to Fort Rucker, Alabama to finish up my training. And then within about 30 days after I got out of Fort Rucker in January of 1969, I was sent to Vietnam. I was fortunate enough to get to pick the division that I was going to go to, and I chose 1st Air Cavalry. We had heard so much about the 1st Cav during flight school, and it just seemed like the perfect choice to go to if you wanted to fly. It seems like they flew more than anybody else. I absolutely love military life. I mean, everything that I did after basic training, all the classes, all the instructions were so much better than being a civilian sitting in a college classroom, learning something that you were probably never going to use the rest of your life. So I applied everything that I learned during the military to my career with the DAV after that. Going back on July the 15th, 1969, my aircraft went down. I suffered some pretty severe injuries. I broke both legs in two places. I was burned over about 50% of my body, third degree burns, everything on the back. And the worst part of it was that my shoulder harness on the right side broke on impact. The left side didn't. So me and the 110-pound armor-plated seat hit the restraints on my left arm, and it stretched the arm about 8 to 10 inches away from the body. Never broke the skin, but it crushed all the nerves in it. 
I was carrying what they call a flail arm. Couldn't do anything with it. It was just hanging there. I spent nine months at Brook Army Medical Center in Fort Sam Houston in San Antonio, Texas, which is the burn center of the world. And during, I guess, the last month that I was there, they had started some physical therapy and some rehabilitation. I had been down in traction and in cast so long, I literally had to learn how to walk again. In those days, once you got to the point that you were stabilized and into a physical therapy rehabilitation program, they sent you to the VA hospital nearest your home. So I was sent to the VA hospital in Big Spring, Texas. I spent the next year there in physical therapy, learning how to walk, basically how to reacclimate myself with the civilian world and how to do things with one arm that I had always done with two. I knew I was going to have to go back to school because I only had, like I said, three semesters of college going in. I knew I wasn't going to fly aircraft anymore or helicopters. So I went back to school. I got a degree and I had a bachelor of business administration with a marketing specialty. And then I started a real estate company with a friend of mine, but I never was really happy. I mean, I never jumped up and down in the morning thinking, oh, goody, goody, I'm going to go to a real estate office and sell houses and land. Three years later, a friend of mine that I was in the VA hospital in Big Spring with called me and said, would you be interested in going to work for the disabled American veterans? We now have a program that we can take people with college degrees that don't have any VA educational benefits left, and we do the training. You cannot believe how excited and how happy I was. The military had been my second family, if you will, and the camaraderie and the teamwork and the friendships and the bonds that you made during the military were something that I never could duplicate in civilian world. So when I got to go back and do something for veterans and working with the military again, I was ecstatic. You know, when you talk about flying helicopters, I actually was stationed in the air wing the entire time I was in the military. So I've been around fixed wing aircraft and helicopters, Cobras, Hueys. So I'm wondering when you were flying, when you were in military aircraft, which ones did you have the opportunity to fly? I don't know if there was only one, if you were able to fly in more than one. What did you fly back then? Started out flying a TH-55. It was a trainer built by Hughes. We called it the Varun Messerschmitt because it had a small engine on it, four small aluminum blades and a bubble that you set in. And then when I went to Fort Rucker, I transitioned into Pillar 23s for instrument training. And then I flew a D-model Huey built by Bell Aircraft for the rest of my training. When I got to Vietnam, I transitioned into 086s. They were a light, small reconnaissance aircraft, also built by Bell. And I flew that for maybe six weeks. And then I went back to the assault helicopter company that I was assigned to, which was Bravo 227th, the first Air Cal. And I flew H-model Hueys the remainder of my tour. That's probably one of the most famous, iconic aircraft that's in all the movies. You know, one of the things that's hard is when you talk about getting shot down and everything is that just trying to save other people and make you know, them be able to live because they're pinned down or caught. You know, you're always putting yourself in jeopardy. And that's one heck of a thing to be a pilot up in the air where everybody can see you. You don't got a place to hide. There's no cover. And seriously, it takes a lot of bravery to do that. You're either crazy enough or brave enough to do that. But I got to give you credit. I'm telling you, that's amazing. I don't think I was brave. I think basically what it was was that I just enjoyed doing what I was trained to do. 
And I loved working with the troops. I enjoyed resupplying. I enjoyed combat assaults. I didn't like it when we had to do dust off duty and or pick up body bags after they got into a firefight. Probably the only thing I didn't enjoy during my entire tour in Vietnam. The rest of it, I absolutely loved. Got to know some really good people. I've had some really strong relationships. And everything that I did in the military has served me well after I got out. Yeah, you know, you make lifelong friends. It's been many, many years since I was in the military, but still have some of those buddies. I still talk to one of my hooch mates. You're familiar with the term hooch, but it's, it's nothing but a platoon-sized tent. And I still talk to him every Sunday afternoon. He was probably 20 feet from me inside the tent. And our platoon leader at the time, our flight leader most of the time when we went out, lives maybe 150 miles due north of me. And I actually get to talk to him about once a month. Well, that's really awesome that you're still in touch with your friends today. You talked about what made you decide to join the DAV. And I know you've spent basically the rest of your life there helping veterans. But I hear a thing that's been repeated a couple times. I keep hearing Alive Day. Can you tell me about where did the Alive Day start and what does it exactly mean so everyone knows? And then could you tell me about what you consider your Alive Day? Well, I'll go back a little bit. The Alive Day that DAV coined the phrase for is the day that we all got injured, but we survived. So it's the day that the rest of our lives started. After I got out of the military, I had lost several really good friends that day. and. I started a tradition with another one of the friends that was in my company. In fact, he was in the same tent with me in Vietnam. On July the 15th every year, we would get together. We'd build a small bonfire and literally sit there and talk about other things in life besides that particular day. What we were doing, what we wanted to do, maybe some of the bad things that had happened that we came through and needed to talk about. So it became a special day for me. And I have continued that tradition throughout the years. It got to the point that at one point in time, I had probably 100 people for that weekend. It got to be a special day for a lot of people. And I guess that's how they got the term or where the DAV came up with the term was the Alive Day is, like I said, that was a day that we started the rest of our life. You survived, you came through, and you didn't just kind of wallow in the fact that things had changed in your life. You took an opportunity and you've been doing it ever since. That is helping veterans because they're always in need all the time. You know, there's always people going through something, getting injured. Maybe something's going on at home and, you know, they just need help. They need counseling. They just need something. They need benefits. And you've been there the whole time. So I wanted to ask you, Ron, as an expert in veteran benefits and the Department of Veteran Affairs programs for injured veterans, what kind of advice could you give to us? Or what programs do you think maybe that we should be aware of and know about for those people that are out there, those veterans that are out there that need some of that information now? Can you share what you've kind of learned over the years? Well, and again, I go back to DAV because they've shaped my life so much for the last 38 years. But they started a program called Transition Service Officers where they actually put people on bases to do debriefings for veterans before they get out. You know, one of the things that I would suggest And one of the things that I used to tell people when I would do those briefings is first thing you do is you learn how to do a resume and you learn what your benefits are. And the only way to do that is through a service organization because the service organizations work strictly for the veteran. They don't work for the VA and they're free. So why not take advantage of it? 
if I could tell them anything, I would just say the very first thing that you need to do when you get out is contact a service organization. I prefer DAV, but there's others out there. And let them guide you through what you need to do with the VA, what you need to do to get back into the civil world, and what you need to do to find employment. Because that's a big thing for a person getting out of the military. They spend 20, 25, 30 years in the military, and all of a sudden, they're going out, and literally, they're going to have to find another job. Because what they did in the military probably isn't what they're going to be doing as a civilian. So that's the first thing that I would tell them. The second thing that I would tell them is take it easy and don't try to do it all at one time. It's hard enough going from a disciplined, regimented planning day to waking up in the morning and thinking, nobody's telling me what to do and I don't have a schedule to follow, so what am I doing? Just take it easy and let life be your guide. You know, you made a really super point when you were kind of comparing that, you know, the jobs in the military don't always equal into a job on the outside. That's so correct because somebody that is a pilot, that translates. You know, if you're a fixed wing, you could fly in American Airlines, right? If you're a helicopter pilot, you could end up working for the search and rescue or something like that. But think about infantry, right? There's not really a lot of jobs on the outside for running around shooting (laughs) at the enemy. So, I mean, the nearest thing I can think of is police officers, but they have the opposite mission, which is to not use those weapons if possible until at all necessary. So that's one thing, you know, you get out of the infantry and then, well, where do I go from here? You know, I got to learn a new trade. I do know that the DAV, they definitely do more than just helping people with injuries, but I've personally been to several DAV job fairs. So I know they had try and help those of us that are unemployed find work. So that's amazing too. You hit on something with police officers and with the infantry coming out. During this job fair that we started about four years ago, I guess, doing these, and I can't remember how many they do, but they do a lot of these every year. I mean, like 40 to 50 of them. It's amazing that companies like Boeing and Brown and Root look for veterans because they know they're disciplined. They know they're good workers, they're punctual, and they're loyal. So that's the one thing that the military will give them is a ready-made resume just with an honorable discharge getting out of the military. In your time of helping people, in your time in the DAV, you've met a lot of people and you've helped a lot of veterans. I'm interested if you wouldn't mind talking about, there was one in particular, a World War II Navy veteran. Can you talk about that story? Yeah, I had started in Waco, Texas, my training, and I had been there maybe a year Our training period at that time was 16 months, and I was not through with my training period yet. And I had a World War II Navy veteran come in who was walking on a wooden leg, and he was getting up in years, and he asked me, he said, is there any possible way that I may could get medical treatment through the VA? And I asked him, I said, have you ever filed a claim for benefits from the VA for compensation and or pension? Because he was up in the years, so he could have qualified for either one. And he didn't have a clue what I was talking about. He said, nobody's ever told me I could. I didn't know how to do that. So I walked him through the process. And in the interim, when I asked him if he had any injuries during service, and he said, well, yeah, that's how I lost my leg. And it just caught me by surprise. And I said, you mean to tell me that you've been going all these years and you've never sought help from the VA? He said, I just went back home and did what they told me to. He said, they told me to go back and just start my life again. He had been making his own legs for like 40 years. 
So we got him to the VA hospital that day, got him hooked up with prosthetics, and the rest was history, really. About six months later, came back into the office and looked like a totally different person. He pulled up his pant legs to show me his new limb, and he couldn't have been more excited if he had won the lottery. It was winning the lottery for me. It's those instances and those type of cases that you get up and go to work for, and it just makes your day. You spent a long time there in the DAV. Are there any other special stories that you can think of that you'd like to mention? No, we've talked about this many times between the national service officers when we would get together at national conventions and things. And, you know, I guess we should have been writing some of this stuff down because we could have wrote a fantastic book if we had, because there's stories like that from almost every national service officer that I know. And it's not just one, it's multiples. I mean, it happens almost on a weekly basis that you can help somebody either put food on the table, help them put clothes on their kids give them an education. And especially when you can find them work, it gives them dignity and respect so that they can take care of their family and feel like everybody else instead of being different. And I understand that. I really do. I mean, I actually go to McDill Air Force Base every month and help to train transitioning veterans so they have a better chance when they get out. And we just try to tell them how important it is to get intertwined with the community and all the different little things that they need to learn in order to transition effectively. And the DAV with the job fairs, again, just mentioning that, you know, I've even been in a position myself because after the military, transition doesn't just happen that one time when you get out. You know, the civilian world is kind of volatile sometimes. You could end up in a job and think it's great. And then a year later, two years later, you could be looking again. Well, I'm in IT. That definitely happened to me. So I've been to the DAV job fairs a couple of times and it's immensely helpful. And so Yeah, just the networking alone with all the people and the companies there that the DAV and the other people that host it bring together is very valuable. So I think finding a job opportunity, that's great. I think as a networking opportunity, it's great. So there's a lot that comes out of these events, and I just think that they're pretty awesome. That's one of the other things that I took away from the military that I used almost daily while I was employed by the DAV, and that was teamwork because nobody does it by themselves. Everybody has to work together, the support staff, people in the field, the chapter people, and the local people. And we depended on them to help us help the veterans, their dependents, and survivors. Yeah, you're right. Families are important, too. And a lot of people sometimes don't think about that or mention that. And it's just always veterans. Does the DAV actually do things for the other family members, too, like the spouse? Or is it just the veteran? Well, if the veteran is still alive, obviously, our role is to assist the veteran. But in doing so, you're also a lot of times assisting spouses because sometimes they have a difficult time period. If they've been a military wife for many, many years and all of a sudden they're not, they don't have that network of military wives that they had before either. So it's difficult for them to transition. So getting them together with other veterans' wives and helping them with community projects or Getting them in touch with people who work in the community is very, very important. I completely agree. So, you know, I've been talking about all the stuff that you've done in all the years that you've worked in the DAV, and you didn't stop. You just keep on rolling, and you even went as far as to become a DAV national commander, and I think that's awesome. Could you tell me about that? Well, it's kind of funny. I had to retire to take care of my elderly mother. That's the only reason that I retired when I did. About two years after I retired, 
I was at a chapter meeting one night and I had held most chapter positions and I got to thinking about what it would be like to assist other veterans and go back into the organization to help people on a nationwide basis and to get our story and our message across the message of service to veterans on a national basis. So I filled out an application for national office. I was fortunate enough to get to serve on our national line for four years, accumulating and being the national commander during the years 2014, 2015. And I found so many things that we did as an organization on the fraternal side that I really wasn't aware of as an employee. I got to spend a lot of time in Washington, D.C., had a lot of time at Cincinnati, where our administrative headquarters is, and I got to do a lot of events around the country, department conventions, 5Ks, and I got to go to some of the initial job fairs, which was a real eye-opener for me. I think it was, I was probably one of the most fortunate Americans to ever walk this earth because I got to do a job for 31 years that I absolutely loved. And then I got to go back and experience the flip side of that coin on the fraternal side for another four years. It is pretty amazing. It does sound like you were very lucky because I've worked quite a few different jobs since I've been out of the military. And I always keep going back to just wanting to help veterans. And most of the time that's on a voluntary basis. And I would love to do that full time, some paid position somewhere, just helping veterans for the rest of my life. I think that would be great. So I'm a little envious of uh, what you were able to accomplish there. But there's still one more thing. You didn't just stop there. You got to be on TV. I wanted to talk about that. Now, you got to team up with the History Channel and American Pickers, correct? Yes, sir, I did. That's a famous little story. Tell me about it. Well, that was actually right before I became National Commander. And Crosby Marketing Company out of Maryland set it up. And my communications department out of Cincinnati, Ohio, called and said, would you be able and would you want to be on American Pickers? And I'm like, well, I don't know. I don't know what I could possibly do to enhance veterans' benefits or do anything for the DAV, but I will be more than happy to do whatever we can. So I went to a little town outside of Murfreesboro, Tennessee, and met with Mike Wolf. And we started filming at six o'clock in the morning. We stopped filming about six that afternoon, and then we had almost an hour of interview time. And that hour was when I got to talk about what I really wanted to, which was the DAB and what we do on a daily basis. So it was an interesting experience, and I have met literally hundreds of people over the past three or four years that will come up to me that may not remember my name, but they remember my face and seeing me on American Pickers. And when we get to talking, it all comes back to DAV and what we do and how I got there. The DAV made you a celebrity. How about that, huh? (laughs) I don't know about the celebrity part, but it was fun. I did see a little clip of that. It sounds like you went through and you were looking for things that had to do with Vietnam. Is that correct? Did you find anything interesting? That is correct. Looking through this individual, he had like four or five storage sheds and he had been collecting things for 50 years. And he had collected a lot of military memorabilia. And that's what we were looking for. And it was really funny. During that search, we found what we commonly referred to as a chicken plate. It was an armored plate that went over the front of your chest for pilots. And a lot of times we'd get two of them. We would sit on one and we'd wear one. Even though the seats were armor plated, they would not stop big rounds. So it was kind of important literally not to get shot in the butt. 
literally covering your butt, right? Yeah, that's exactly it. And we found that. We found some flight suits and a couple of helmets. There were some other things we found. Mike took part of it back, part of it we left. Did you know what was to happen with the Vietnam items that you guys found and came up with together? Are they going to like go to a museum or something like that? They will. Part of it went back to Mike's store and they were not to be sold. He was just going to put them on display. And then part of it went to our Cincinnati headquarters. So now I have to say this. You said Cincinnati three times. I'm happy. I'm from Cincinnati. You know that? (laughs) That's where I was born and raised. So I didn't even know that was there. Well, our headquarters is actually in Cold Springs, Kentucky, which is right across the river. But we use a Cincinnati address because eons ago, they were the only post office big enough in that area to handle our mail on a daily basis and the mail outs that we did. So that's how it came to be. Everybody knows where Cincinnati's at. Very few people know where Cold Springs, Kentucky is at. So it's on the other side of the river. Yes, sir. Do you remember where Lunkin Airport was in Cincinnati? Our headquarters is about three miles from there. Next time I ever make it up that way, I'm definitely going to have to stop by and see it. We used to be the largest employer in Cold Springs, and then they opened the Walmart. (laughs) So that ended that. (laughs) Walmart took over. Yeah. (laughs) So, you know, Ron, thinking about all of your years of experience and everything that you've been through, if you were sitting down today and looking face to face with another veteran that was having troubles or just needed a little help or whatever, what like is the one main piece of advice that you would give them? There's probably a whole list, but is there any specific thing that you'd like to mention so that they can like hear you right now, say what it is? Well, and again, my very first piece of advice to any veteran that's having troubles or having issues, and especially the emotional or mental issues, is get with somebody and seek help. Don't try to do it yourself. Remember that you didn't do anything in the military by yourself, and you don't have to do it now by yourself. There's people out there that are trained specialists to walk just about anybody through any problem given time. And that's the one thing that the DAV National Service Officers do is make sure that those individuals go to the right place and get steered to the right place to get help and not just flounder around in the VA bureaucracy. And I really agree with you on that that they just need to go out there and get help because it's the being alone and not reaching out, which leads people to being in their basement and having depression and drinking or committing suicide when that can easily be avoided just by, you know, stepping out of the house and going and talking to somebody like you're suggesting. And so, yeah, I completely agree with your advice. And you're obviously the experienced one who's been doing this for so many years. And I still work with two of the congressmen in North Carolina, Congressman Ted Budd and Congressman Virginia Fox. I'm kind of a go-to person, I guess, for both of them and their offices here in North Carolina to assist veterans or get veterans on the right track or get them hooked up with a service representative to help them walk through their problems. So I'm not directly involved anymore, but I'm glad that at least I can still keep my finger in it and still help veterans on a frequent basis. That's awesome. So you're never giving up. You're just going to keep on helping them as long as you possibly can, huh? I hope. So we talked about American Pickers from your time in the DAV, whether that was before or after you became the national commander. Are there any other memorable moments or interesting people that you got to meet serving for DAV? Every place, every state that I've visited, I've met super interesting people. A little story that I will pass along because it's funny. It's comical. I went to Connecticut for their department convention. And I want to say it was in 2015. And the lady who was my contact 
and basically my guide through the four days that I was there, met me as I got off the airplane. And of course, I was traveling in Levi's and like a sweatshirt or something, just comfortable. And she looked at me and just had this stare on her face. And she said, Ron, she said, you're going to have to change clothes and get into a suit. And I'm like, really? She said, yeah. She said, we're supposed to be at the state house in 20 minutes. So I went in the men's room and I got into a suit and tie and we went to the state department and we met with the governor and then met with the full house. They were in session. And after they introduced me, I was just giving a brief, like one minute, you know, thank you for allowing me to be here. And thank you for taking care of the DAV in Connecticut. All of a sudden I felt my arm fall off inside my suit coat. And I'm sure everyone in the room saw this look on my face of like, what just happened? <laughs> so I get through and we go out and this lady looked up at me and she said, Ron, what happened? She said, you just got this almost horrified look on your face. And I said, well, not real sure, but I think my arm just broke. So sure enough, I got the jacket off and the only thing that was holding my arm onto the socket were the two wires that connect the cable that activates the electric motor on it and the cable itself. That was it. So this is my first maybe three hours in Connecticut, and I've got like four days left to do public appearances and meet and greet with some of the base people at the Surface Warfare Center. And I didn't know how I was going to do this without just taking the arm off completely and not wearing it, which I really didn't want to do. And so they called, this was like four or five o'clock in the afternoon, and they called a prosthetic shop there went over. He had to special order the part from Hosmer. And two days later, I got, well, actually a day and a half later, I got my arm back and it was just like it was when it was built. That is really crazy. I mean, I can't even just imagine your face probably went white, but then the only thing that could have made it worse or funnier was if it, all of a sudden everybody would have heard a clunk, you know? Yeah. And that's really what I expected to happen. When I felt it give from the socket, I thought it was going to fall out. Fortunately, it didn't. Yeah, that's a, definitely a story for sure. Oh my gosh. The things that some people don't have to deal with, right, Ron? Yes, sir. But that's okay. You know, I got used to it and it's kind of part of me now. You know, I would just like to express my gratitude and thanks for all of the veterans that have served in the past and for our, our current present military. We have some of America's best and brightest in our military forces today. The American public does not understand how lucky they are to have this small group of people. And it's a very small group of people when you think about the population of the United States, protecting them, taking care of them, and protecting their rights. And all I can say is God bless them. Well, Ron, I totally agree with you on that 100%. And I'm going to have to give the same right back to you. Again, I said much earlier, you know, you didn't serve active duty for 20, 30 years, but you've been serving with the DAV a lot longer. 30, 40 years, basically, if you wrap all that time together and you're still helping veterans now. So I'm grateful for you coming on this podcast today. I'm grateful for your years of service to veterans and their families. And I think it's really amazing what you do. You're an amazing person and God bless you, Ron. Well, thank you very, very much for allowing me to share my time with you and some of my past and my stories. I just hope that someone else can get some good out of it. Amen to that. Hope you've enjoyed this episode. Be sure to keep coming back each week for more great episodes. If you want to talk about something you learned today, if you have questions, or if you would like to be a guest on our podcast, 
go to AmericanHeroesNetwork.com and click on Contact Us. Thank you for listening.